0: Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead
1: better every day. And now here's your host. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Jason Day, and I had an amazing conversation this week with Carl Vaders. Carl is the pastor of Cornerstone Christian Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. He writes regularly on the importance and value of small churches at his blog, Pivot, and is the founder of New Small Churches.com, which focuses on Encouraging, Connecting, and Equipping Innovative Small Church Pastors. He is the author of The Grasshopper Myth and his latest book, Small Church Essentials, which is available from Moody Press. On this week's episode, Carl addresses the true relationship between being a healthy church and a growing church, and how it might not be what you expect or what you have always heard. Carl and I discuss some encouraging and valuable principles for smaller churches, including how to best view systems in your church. And Carl shares an innovative and God-honoring way to effectively shift the culture of your church. This is an incredibly encouraging and insightful conversation. I know you're going to love it, so let's not waste any more time. Here's my conversation with Carl Vaders. Now, I'm super excited to be speaking with you today because you are a pastor, but you also have a unique ministry that Will resonate, I believe, with many of our listeners. You write, coach, and speak on the topic of small churches, and you do this around the country, even around the world. I know you're recently in, uh, in Europe. So, Carl, what do you consider a small church, and why do you focus on small church leadership?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, anything uh, under 200 to 250. The subtitle of the book mentions 250 simply because. Um, At around 2 to 250 is where you really do have to change the way you lead a church. You can't do it uh, in as much a hands-on directly to the congregation as much as you have to entrust a lot of the pastoral care to under shepherds once you get above 200 or 250. So under 250 or so is what we consider a small church. Uh, Every once in a while, a pastor of a church of 50 will hear that and go, 250 is not a small church. You want a small church. I got 25. Well, I understood, all of it is small, but there's a big shift that happens at about 2 to 250. There is a big difference from 2 from 50 to 200 as well, uh, but that entire area of under 250 or so has really been under-resourced uh, in all of the research that I've done and all of the learning that I've done about how to do pastoring, so that's what we concentrate on.
1: Excellent. Now, I imagine, and and actually I know this, that a lot of pastors, um, pastoring smaller churches, tend to feel... A pressure toward numerical growth. Can you talk a little bit about that, that pressure? Um, why does it exist? And, and how do pastors kind of handle or navigate that in a healthy way?
0: Yeah, very much so. I, I, what happened um, was—I'm when, like, when I'm, I'm 58, so when I was growing up and I was a preacher's kid, there wasn't this emphasis on a church becoming bigger in order to be considered healthy— And what happened was the church growth movement began, and it began with great ideas and great motives, and still does have great ideas and great motives, but even great ideas have unintended consequences. And some of the unintended consequences of the wonderful church growth movement, and again, fully supportive of it, is that it does then tend to make those who are pastoring smaller churches feel less than when they try all of the ideas and they put the principles into place and it doesn't seem to work for them like it seems to work for everybody else. And so you've got a whole bunch of pastors out there that, quite frankly, have given up going to a lot of conferences or even reading books or blogs about church growth, because after a certain amount of time of beating your head against a wall, it's like either either they're wrong or I'm wrong or something is wrong somewhere here, and we don't know how to put our finger on it. And so that was where I kind of landed several years ago, because I pastor in Orange County, California, eight miles south of Disneyland. So I don't have the quote unquote excuse of not having a lot of people around.
1: <laughs> uh, right. You
0: know, there's millions of people within a, a, you know, a half hour drive of my church door, including a whole bunch of mega churches. And yet my church did not grow uh, the way I, quite frankly, expected it to grow after applying all of the church growth principles. So I started feeling Like, uh, I must have failed somewhere. I must have been missing something. Maybe I'm not called to this. All kinds of really just bad thinking entered into my heart and into my brain until the Lord helped me to turn that around with the help of some really good folks to where I started looking at it and saying, okay, we are a small church. What if we tried to figure out what a great small church looks like and just try to be that? Now, if as a result of that we happen to get bigger, great. Great. But if you take an unhealthy small church and you make it a healthy small church, even if it stays small, at least it became healthy. And that we figured was a positive step. And so that's what we concentrate on trying to do. And when we do that, you can really relieve a lot of the burden of guilt and frustration and inferiority that a lot of really great small church pastors feel who are actually in really good, healthy, missional, outward reaching small churches but they're not seeing the kind of numerical growth that seems to be almost promised in some of the church growth principles that are out there. And so we want to relieve some of that pressure. We want to help people realize that if your church is healthy, it doesn't really matter what size it is. Let's do small church well, at least for the time you're small, because quite frankly, most of us are going to pastor a small church for most of our ministry. That's just what the numbers look like.
1: Right. No, no, that's, that's good. I, I love this. And I'd like to dig in a little more because you're talking about uh, the importance of being a healthy church regardless of size. Uh, but one of the things that we've heard oftentimes um, is that all healthy churches grow. There's just an expectation. If you're healthy, you're going to be growing. Uh, well, how, how do we sort through that?
0: Yeah. And it's a reasonable thought. I mean, part of healthfulness for Christians is the Great Commission. And if we are fulfilling the Great Commission and leading people to Christ, then just it just seems logical and rational that, well, that, that means there's going to be more people sitting in my church on a Sunday morning. It, isn't that just the way that goes? Uh, and so that the problem is that doesn't play out in reality. It's kind of like when a scientist has a theorem then they have to test that theorem by actually doing experiments to see if that theorem works. And if the experiment in real life doesn't prove the theorem, then you have to change your theorem. <laughs> right. Right. So the idea, the theorem makes sense. If the church is healthy and we're reaching people for Jesus, there'll be more people in the seats on Sunday. That theory seems to make sense, but it doesn't play out in the majority of churches. So we have to look at it and go, okay, there have to be some other factors at play here. And I do agree with the statement, all healthy things grow. They absolutely do. But they don't all grow in the same way. For instance, I stopped growing when I was about 21, 22, when I hit about six foot six inches. And yet, so I I don't grow physically anymore. I haven't gotten any taller since then. But you know, when you're little, and you watch, there's actually a little story that I tell in my first book, The Grasshopper Myth. There was a little girl who had this idea in our, actually in our church. And I'm six foot six. So she was talking with her mom one day. And she was, had this idea in her head, of course, that the bigger you are, the older you are, the bigger you are. And she couldn't figure out how her grandma, who was so much older than her mom, was smaller than her mom. <laughs> she was trying to figure that out. And then she said, that's not the way it works, honey. And then out of nowhere, she looked at her mom and said, mom? Pastor Carl must be the oldest person in the world, (laughs) because I was the tallest person she'd ever seen at six foot six. And so that's kind of an immature way of looking at growth, that it always has to be numerical, that it always has to be height. But what happens in our lives is we grow to a certain place. I'm not going to get any taller than six foot six. In fact, I'm probably shrinking right now, but I'm going to grow in other ways. I'm going to grow emotionally. I'm going to grow mentally. I'm going to grow relationally, hopefully. So there are all kinds of different ways that churches grow. It doesn't just happen numerically.
1: Excellent. So we have this this pressure to grow we've We've kind of addressed um, we've talked through this healthy that healthy churches are going to grow, just not necessarily in the same way. but there's a flip side, I think, to that pressure to grow that many small church pastors experience, and that is kind of where they they probably wouldn't say it this way, but they've probably become uh, discouraged to the point where they're just kind of throwing in the towel and just kind of cruising along in ministry. So yeah. we have this, we have this you know, pressure to grow numerically, and then the flip side of that coin is just kind of coasting along. Can you speak to the, the kind of coasting along mentality, and, and how do you encourage pastors who, who don't see numerical growth in their church not to slip into that kind of that rut or that kind of thinking?
0: Yeah, no, that, that's a huge thing. And probably more than anybody else that I've talked to in the five years or so that I've been doing the small church ministry writing, I hear from people who, who tell me that they were at a point of frustration, were about to quit ministry, and then read something that I wrote or, or heard me at a conference or whatever and realized, hey, wait a minute, we can be healthy while small. And that overcoming that sense of discouragement alone was, gave them a revitalization and gave the church a revitalization. The way I like to put it is this. Being small is not a problem, a virtue, or an excuse. First of all, it's not a problem. We we cannot assume that because a church does not see the kind of numerical growth that we expect for healthy churches to have, that it is somehow sick. Um, there are a lot of churches that are sending churches, for instance. There are a lot of churches that are in a senior area where they're losing 20 to 25% of their congregation through passing away every year and yet they stay the same size that's that's like the equivalent of 20 to 25% growth every year right there's all kinds of different reasons so we cannot assume that it's a problem secondly being small is not an excuse uh, is not a virtue that is small churches aren't better than big churches I am not anti-big, not by any stretch of the imagination. I think big churches and small churches are all needed. We can't take any part of the body of Christ and discount it, including by size. So anytime 3,000 people get together to worship Jesus in one place, that's fantastic. I also think it's fantastic when 3,000 people get together to worship Jesus in 30 different places. Mm. The power of the Holy Spirit is not more concentrated just simply because there's more of us in the room or because there are fewer of us in the room. It's all needed. So small is not a virtue. This idea that, you know, every once in a while I'll hear it or I'll see it on social media now where some pastor of a small church will go, you know, the only reason our church is small is we're the only one in town preaching the true gospel. <laughs> <laughs> just, right. You know, every time I read that, I want to go, well, you know what? If you think you're the only one in town preaching the true gospel, before you get up on the pulpit on Sunday, let's have a talk about your pride problem, buddy.
1: Right, right, right.
0: <laughs> That's oh. we got an issue here, right? So it's not a virtue. But thirdly, it's not an excuse. Mm. Being small is not an excuse to not do great ministry with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your passion every single day. There are great things that can be done in ministry by churches that are small. You don't have to wait to be big in order to do great ministry. And doing great ministry doesn't guarantee that you will get larger. So if you're not seeing the numerical growth you expected, you don't automatically assume that somehow you're failing. Mm-hmm. And if we could somehow get that mindset shifted in pastors' hearts predominantly, I think we'd see a whole bunch of healthy churches, smaller churches getting healthier, and a whole bunch of healthy small churches getting even healthier and more missional.
1: Carl, that, that, thank you for that, because I think that, that is so well-framed and so well-put, you know, just in perspective of what is the small church as part of the bigger body of Christ in in how they're, they're, you don't need to be ashamed of pastoring a small church and aspiring someday to you know, stepping stone it up to a bigger church whenever you can focus and understand that the small church is every bit a part of God's uh, plan and God's mission in our world as a large church or a mega church, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, fully half the Christians in the world go to a church under about 250 or so. So you got about 2 billion Christians in the world, and 1 billion of us choose to worship Jesus in smaller churches. So to discount that, or to say that automatically there must be a problem there, is to undercut half of the body of Christ and the contributions that they can make. And the other side, to look at the big churches and go, well, you you can't get big unless you're watering down the gospel is just as much nonsense, it's ridiculous. Uh, the, The gospel works in both small and large environments, and we can't restrict it to one or the other. We need everybody fully engaged in this process and in this, and the Great Commission to reach the world.
1: Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, earlier you mentioned this, uh, th- this idea of shifting the pastoral mindset, that a lot of pastors in small churches, they're kind of stuck in this mindset that to be effective in ministry means we are growing numerically. How have you personally gone through that kind of mindset shift, or how have you helped other colleagues and other pastors kind of make that shift? I mean, what what's because it, it seems so prevalent in our churches and yeah. in, in the pastors' minds. What what is it that can help move, you know, move that, that mindset?
0: Yeah, it was a really tough shift for me to make. I went through a, a season where I almost, I really burned out and I almost left ministry for a long time. Our, our church, I took a church 25 years ago that had 30 very discouraged people. A big Sunday had 30 people in it. And, you know, about 15 years later, we're running about 150 people. Um, so, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a slow mover, but I'm, I'm consistent. <laughs> and then we went through a real season where we jumped from almost 200 to about 400 in uh, about 20 months. Wow. And then in about 10 to 12 months, we dropped from 400 to under 100. Wow. Yeah. And there was no scandal and there was no split. And everybody's heads were reeling going, what just happened to us? Where did everybody go and why? And nobody could give us a good reason. And the reason long term, looking back, as I've discovered, one, one of the reasons, some of the reasons were technical. We made some strategic errors that I would do differently now. So some of it was strategy and methodology, but the primary reason was um, I made the shift from being a shepherding pastor to being a leader and manager that has to be made when you jump over 200. It it, it is not, there's nothing wrong with a pastor being a leading and a managing pastor and not having the hands-on with the congregation. You can't be hands-on with the congregation once you get over 200 or so, it's simply impossible. So I made that shift, but what I didn't realize was, after I made that shift, I was miserable because I'm not called to be a managing leader, I'm called to be a shepherding pastor. That's the gifting God has given me and that's the calling that he's placed on me. So when the church exploded and grew big, I was doing things outside of the pocket of my gifting. I was spending my time trying to raise funds, working with staff, fighting with city hall, Trying to find a new building all that stuff and some pastors are energized by that by what that means and by working to do that i wasn't energized by it i was exhausted by it because it was outside of my gifting and so i became miserable and i became quite frankly emotionally and spiritually toxic during that period of time um i came very close to being one of those pastors on that list who have this failing and everybody goes gee what happened everything was going so great I I was so toxic and so emotionally, you know, wrung out that I could have been one of those pastors that had this moral flame out. Thank God I didn't because of some wonderful people around me and just by God's grace. But what happened was I was in that place of such misery and such ill health that you can't lead a healthy church when you are an unhealthy pastor. And so people could sense that and started leaving and I had to turn that ship around within my own head and within my own heart. And one of the biggest ways that I did that was I had to look around. I actually went to a counselor who who used to be a pastor. And after telling him that story, he said, Carl, you got to figure out how to redefine success.
1: Mm.
0: I wanted to punch him in the nose. (laughs) Because I said, so what you're telling me is I'm trying to jump 10 feet. I can only jump eight feet. So lower the bar to eight feet, jump over that and call it success. That's cheating. He says, I'm not talking about that. He says, if If you're you're counting success by numbers, you have to figure out how to figure out what success in ministry looks like aside from numbers with no numbers attached to it. What does a healthy church look like? What does a healthy pastor look like? And we got to figure that out together. And so that really began my journey to figure out what does a healthy small church even look like? Is it a possible thing to even have? If so, what might it look like and how can we do that? Because I can't pastor a large church. My calling, my skill set, And my spiritual gifts are the spiritual gifts and calling and skill set that matches a small church more than it matches a big church. So i got to figure out how to do small church in a strong and missional and dynamic way.
1: I I, I love that, and thank you for being so candid with us and sharing your journey because, uh, one, I think there are many listening right now who this is going to be incredibly encouraging and and really freeing as well because whenever we are talking about— our calling and our gifting, and, and kind of how God wired us, as you're saying, that you are created and called to pastor a smaller congregation because of your relational gifting, and and that's you know that's what where you get your energy and, and more of a shepherding role. As we look at that, there's this freedom from, you know, trying to be something we're not is what it kind of comes down to, and it seems as if there's this understanding that to be called and gifted to pastor a small church is every bit as important as being called and gifted to pastor a large church.
0: Absolutely. And and more of us are called to do that. I I know very few pastors who would say they felt a call to become a church entrepreneur, and they have a call to—they want to build buildings, or they want to Um, lead a team of workers. There are some who do feel that call, and that's great. I'm thrilled for that, because if everybody was leading like me, we'd all be worshiping in mud huts. There'd never be a building built. (laughs) So there need to be people who have different gifts than me. But most pastors, when you ask them, what was their original call, what was it to? It was to pastor people, to love on people, to share the gospel with people. It's much more relational. And so I think you know, certainly in America right now, especially, there are some real signs of ill health. And we do have a lot of churches that are plateaued that should not be plateaued and are going into decline that should not be in decline. So there is a lot of ill health that is attached to, to decreasing numbers. But we can't make the assumption that every time we see a church that has been small and has stayed small, we can't make the assumption that it's because of ill health. It may be because that's the way God designed that pastor and that church to best fulfill the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. And maybe they're sending people out into the mission field. Our church does that. There's barely a month that goes by where we don't have a farewell on a Sunday for somebody who's heading off and is going to be going to do ministry, has accepted a position at another church, or is going to go and become a missionary. We're constantly training people up and sending them off to bless other churches And we discovered almost by mistake a little over 10 years ago that we do that really well. So, hey, if we do that well, let's do that on purpose and maybe we'll even do it better. But in order to do that, in order to fulfill that calling, we had to let go and say, we are okay with and we celebrate investing in people for years, mentoring them, blessing them, teaching them, training them. And then just when they get really, really good at it and can start paying us back, some other church pays them money for a position that we can't afford to pay them, and we're going to lose them.
1: Wow, I love that. I love yeah. that. That that perspective is so, uh, again, it's so so refreshing. And, and I, I guess this goes back to your story as you were kind of processing through you your meeting with your um, your counselor, and, and he kind of talked you through this idea of redefining what success really looks like. And so as you were going through that process of discovering what it means to be a healthy, small church, um Let's, let's kind of jump into some of those uh, practical principles that you have discovered over time that you've learned. What are some of those principles for being a healthy small church?
0: Well, I mean, for any church, of course, it comes down to the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. And so every church is supposed to do that, but small churches will do it in a slightly different way than big churches will. In big churches, like when we go, when every time I go to a a conference, I'll go to a Catalyst conference or Exponential or something like that, and so much of it is about processes and systems, and and organizational things. And I've even had some other pastors go to me, ask me, have they just forgotten about the power of the Holy Spirit? Why is it all about methods? And I go, no, they they haven't forgotten about God, but it's when you're pastoring a large church of two thousand or twenty thousand people, if your systems are not perfect, I mean. it's all about methods and systems and getting people in. If you're trying to to, uh, manage the movement of thousands of people every weekend, you better have really, really good systems in place. But when you're in a smaller church, it's really not about systems as much as it is about relationships and the church's culture and the church's history. So a big church pastor has to spend most of their time thinking about processes and systems that make sense in a bigger church. But in a smaller church, if you try to bring in too many processes and systems, even if you try to pitch a big mission statement, it can almost sound manipulative in a smaller group. If you're sitting there with 25 people or 50 people in a room, and you're trying to push some big mission that you heard uh, a pastor of 20,000 speak, they're going to look at you and roll their eyes like, where are you coming from? What planet are you coming from? Sit down and get to know us. Figure out where we came from. Figure out what our giftings are. Help us do what God has called us to do. And as that interesting combination comes together it's almost like a chef putting ingredients together and coming up with something they wouldn't have designed themselves so a small church has to lean much more on relationships because in a small church every individual has a greater impact on the whole
1: yeah that makes sense i want to i want to sorry to interrupt you but i want to talk a little bit about systems that, that you brought up um yeah in my years as a pastor, you know I, i've I've been to the conferences and and all those things. and, and you know, I, one of the things that I've heard oftentimes is if you don't develop those systems and put those systems in place, then you're sort of putting a lid on um, your opportunity for numerical growth. yeah, how, how would you how would you kind of respond to that? So for the pastors who are listening who are thinking, oh, wait a second, though the whole idea of systems is so that we can, Begin to grow, because if we don't have those systems, then it's just going to be chaos.
0: Great question. And it's absolutely a valid point to make. But it's not that systems don't matter in small churches. It's that relationships matter more. Good. Okay. Uh, Understanding understanding the culture of the church matters more. You know, there's the the saying that's going around a lot in business right now. um, uh, Culture eats strategy for lunch. Right. Right. And in a small church, a small church has a culture of its own that is pr- usually not defined from the pastor, especially if you're a new pastor going into an existing church. You're not going to define the culture, but you better figure out what it is,
1: <laughs> right?
0: Because otherwise it will you cannot plant a good seed onto a bad culture. So if you you've got to figure out what that culture is, so you know what you're trying to plant the mission into. And so that that makes a difference. So in and in a smaller church. Systems that help you do that are helpful, but relationships are more important. So systems are important, but they matter less the smaller the church is, and they matter more the bigger the church is. Relationships are always important, but the relationship a pastor has with actual congregation members matters more in a small church and doesn't matter as much in a big church. Nobody is going to Saddleback Church and expecting to be able to call Rick Warren at any time for a pastoral prayer in the middle of the week. They know that going in because of the size of the place. And that's not a dis on Rick in any way, shape, or form. It simply isn't possible with those numbers. Right. But if you're going to a church of 35 rather than 35,000, and the pastor isn't available to receive your call because they're working on systems, you're going to have a problem in that church.
1: That makes perfect sense. Thank you so Thank you for that. Yeah. That's good.
0: Systems matter, but they matter more the bigger you get. And we should always try to have systems for at least twice the size we are. So if you're a church of 50, have— systems that fit a church of hundred in place
1: excellent excellent that's great but
0: not a, but not a church of a thousand right exactly. right
1: right yeah that makes sense otherwise you're uh, you're just gonna blow everyone away and they'll exactly. be confused as to what what's even going on so no that, that makes perfect sense now you mentioned culture so let me dig in a little bit there how have you found are the most effective ways to shift culture in a smaller church and and i ask that because oftentimes in smaller churches they seem to be um sometimes more kind of set in the culture that they have, and yeah. uh, maybe it's a culture that's been kind of lingering for some time, maybe there's some key families that have helped contribute to that culture. So how, yeah. do, how do you uh, effectively shift that?
0: Yeah, what I've discovered is uh, in any unhealthy small church, and again, we're not assuming that a small church is unhealthy, but let's just, for this argument, in an unhealthy small church, they typically look like the church used to look either when the church was founded or at the last great pastorate. And so they freeze dry it in place mm. and it looks like it used to look then. And what they do is they stay with the forms and instead of staying with the spirit of how the church was started. And so what I'll do when I'm talking to other pastors is I'll tell them this. We've got to stop doing what the founders of the church did and we've got to start thinking like the founders of the church thought. That's good. So you've got a person in the congregation going, well, our our founders would never have you know done those you know songs off the wall and would have, would never have torn up the pews what's the matter with them but if you go back into your church's founding documents you will not find in any church's founding documents that this church is starting in order to sing hymns out of this hymn book until Jesus comes that will not be in any church's founding <laughs> right. documents. what you will find is statements like we're here to reach a new generation in a new way for Jesus We wanna reach the people that nobody else is reaching. right? Because churches are not founded by sticks in the mud. Churches are founded by pioneers and visionaries. So if you're in a church that feels stuck and the people keep saying they just wanna stay with what the founders wanted to do, go back and find what the founders actually said, what their statements were. Look in your church archives, find the founding documents, and you will find innovative and fresh thinking and pioneering statements that will actually help to propel you forward while honoring the history of the church. That, I have found, is one of the best ways to both honor the history and move forward in a church, especially if you're a new pastor in an existing church.
1: And so you're saying out of that, you accentuate the, the pioneering aspect of the church in its glory days or you know, from the founders, and you use that um, pioneering spirit— to help your church see that hey this is what we need to continue to be doing we need to be continuing to be in step with the spirit and and see fresh ways that we can share the hope of Jesus is is that what you're saying
0: yeah exactly well for instance i was in a church not long ago And the pastor was having a problem with this. And so in in talking through it, I I said, hey, way back in the day, 50 years ago, when the church started, you had a hymn book and then somebody went on and actually printed up a little chorus book. And that chorus book had all of the recent songs from the 60s and 70s. And then the hymn book had everything from 100 years ago. And you've got some people who are going, oh, wouldn't it be great if we had those old choruses again? Remind them of what that little printed up chorus book was. That little printed up chorus book that was printed up in the 60s, the only reason we printed it up on paper was because we didn't have projection systems. Right. That was the 1960s version of PowerPoint.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: That's what it was. They were they were bringing the new one in along with the older stuff. And for many of them, they'll say, yeah, we probably sang more songs out of that those beat up little paperback things that we printed ourselves than we sang out of the hymn book. Well, that's exactly what Churches are doing today now. Only they're doing it with a projection system on the wall behind the band, but it's exactly the same spirit of things. And we've got to we, we we've got to capture that spirit rather than continuing to repeat exactly the thing that they did before.
1: That is so good. I, I, this this entire conversation is so great. I, I wish we had hours to talk, um, and maybe we'll have to have you come back. But but we still have a little bit of time. So I would like to ask you if you can think of. You know what? What is one more principle that you write about in Small Church Essentials? That because uh, we've talked about systems and relationships and, and how those work together, we've talked about culture and shifting culture. What's another principle that that small church pastors should really kind of dig into um, to help their church be as healthy as it can be?
0: Yeah, uh, the the primary challenge or the primary um, potential blessing of the small church. People who say that who go to small churches they give you two primary reasons they say they go to a small church. Primary reason number 1 is the pastor knows my name. They want to they want to be pastored by their pastor. And two is I I know people, I feel like I belong. And that and all of it is relational. So in a smaller church we need to lean into our relationships even stronger. It's difficult to go to a big church and not have somebody be friendly to you. But it's brutal to walk into a small church and not have somebody be friendly to you because if i walk into a church of a thousand i know what to do i'm going to sit i'm going to be an audience there are systems in place that i understand that's fine but if i walk into a church of 50 and nobody says hi that's just awkward and weird and strange i don't know what to do in 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 a small room when nobody's being friendly to me so the question becomes okay how do we get our people to be friendly other than just with each other. So let me give you a system that works in a small church to help increase the friendliness quotient. In Small Church Essentials, I use this acronym, and it's something we've used in our church forever. And I call it GIFT, G-I-F-T. And it stands for Greet, Introduce, Follow Up, and Thank. And what we tell our congregation members, we require it of our leaders, and we suggest it regularly to our congregation. Every week when you come in, greet somebody new, or introduce somebody to somebody else who's never met them before, or follow up on somebody that you met recently, or thank somebody for a job well done. And if every regular member of a small church either greeted somebody new every week, or introduced somebody to each other that they didn't know each other, or followed up on somebody they met recently, or thanked somebody for a job well done, you would increase the friendliness of that congregation exponentially. And that is the primary reason people choose to go to a small church, is to befriend others. But too often we tell people, be friendlier, and we don't give them a template by how to do it. Right. So here, coming back to our earlier question about do systems matter in a small church? Yeah, they do, but they might look slightly different. And here's one. This system works to increase the friendliness in any size church.
1: That's excellent, Carl. Thank you so much for that. Now, can you tell us— um, your your newest book, Small Church Essentials, Field-Tested Principles for Leading a Healthy Congregation of Under 250. Uh, can you tell us where, where can we find that book?
0: Yeah, you can get that at Amazon. You can get it through Moody. You can pick it up at com or christianbook.com. There's a bunch of Christian bookstores that have it as well. So all of the normal places that you might find any kind of church leadership book, you can find it.
1: Excellent. And Carl, if uh, our listeners want to follow a little more of your ministry. I know you do a ton of writing on, you know, small church ministry. What's the best way that they can kind of attract with you, you know, connect with you, follow your writings and those types of things?
0: Yeah, my blog is actually at Christianity Today, but the URL is complicated. So the best front door to get there is to go to my website, newsmallchurch.com. Uh, and if you go there, then I, there's always a preview of every article there, and then when you click on the Read More button, it takes you to Christianity Today. You can also follow New Small Church on Facebook, or you can follow me at my name, Car- at Carl Vaders for Instagram or Twitter.
1: Well, we appreciate having you here with us on the Church Leaders Podcast. Great stuff, power-packed. Uh, definitely would love to have you back on the podcast again. I think there's so much you have to offer um, those who are listening, so thank you,
0: Thanks, Jason. I'd love to be back sometime. Good to be with you today.
1: Awesome. God bless you, brother. Thanks. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast. And if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance, and if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the Faith Play app. It's available for both Apple and Android. So we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day, encouraging you to love well and lead well.
0: You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.